Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hello, everybody. This is Occupy Health with Dr. Susan, or two Dr. Susans, as a matter of fact, in this case. In this program here, we want to promote health. How can we be healthy? How can we move toward optimal health? Sometimes our clinicians, our physicians, might not have all the information that's out there because it typically takes about 20, 15 to 20 years between when research is done and when this is presented generally in clinics. So we want to give information on how we can be healthy and how we can stay healthy. One important condition is breast cancer. I mean, more people in the U.S. die from breast cancer last year than from COVID. And the rates of breast cancer seem to be higher than in certain countries. Those with the dangerous BRCA gene, it seems that about 70% of the people with this gene might have trouble in the U.S. where it's only 40% in Poland. Does this mean there are things we can do to prevent breast cancer? This is a killer disease among women. Are there things we can do to stay clear of this disease? This is pretty important, women, and for men, too, because some of the risk factors for and concepts of prostate cancer are similar to those of breast cancer. So let's find out about this. And here with us today, we have an expert on this particular topic, Susan Wadia Ells, PhD. She has written a book, Busting Breast Cancer, The Five Simple Steps to Keep Breast Cancer Out of Your Body. And she has some very important information. So first, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a long-time cultural change agent. During the 1970s, she organized women at Polaroid, creating the first affirmative action program for women within a Fortune 200 corporation. She soon became Polaroid's Corporate Affirmative Action Manager and a mentor for other women's groups, fighting for equal training, benefits, career opportunities. After returning to academia in the early 1980s for a graduate degree in economics and political development at the Fletcher School, she worked with community development groups in Zimbabwe. As that nation's long struggle against apartheid ended, next she operated a small-town journal as a journalist in Battleboro, Vermont, under the guidance of legendary UPI international editor Norman Runyon. Dr. Waja Ells then moved on to complete her PhD in women's studies before teaching over the next decade in Lesley University's adult baccalaureate program in Boston. She helped women learn to fearlessly write their unspoken ideas and life stories. This time, while raising her son, uh, she also created national feminist conferences on once ignored or banned topics, including the landmark women's ways of knowing study, exploring the personal growth dimensions within motherhood, and understanding the power of women's menopausal years. In 1995, her anthology, The Adoption Reader, Birth Mothers, Adoptive Mothers, and Adopted Daughters, tell their stories. You can find this in Seal Press, Seattle. She helped define adoption as a primary a woman's issue, Wadja L's column, Honest Health, published by the Gloucester Daily Times in Massachusetts beginning in 2008, 
her longtime Bussing Breast Cancer blog and her 2013 e-book, Birth Control, Drugs, Breast Cancer, Learn the Terrible Truth, all served to introduce many of the topics discussed in her 2019 book, Busting Breast Cancer, Five Simple Steps to Keep Breast Cancer Out of Your Body. This is based on the new metabolic theory of cancer. She currently lives in Manchester by the sea. So welcome, Dr. Wadja Els. Oh, Susan, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Okay. So tell us, what got you interested in this topic of breast cancer? Well, um, very sadly, I, I, I had three friends who all um, were diagnosed and treated for an early stage uh, breast tumor and all thought that they had been successfully treated and then within one within a few months and the other another within a few years and another within a decade uh, were diagnosed with what is called recurrent metastatic breast cancer and uh, this apparently is happening today and continues to happen to 30 to 40 percent of all women who were treated with early stage breast cancer and I just got really angry. I you know, realize that there's so much money being spent, you know, every October with that pink ribbon and go get your mammogram and this will prevent breast cancer. And I began to think, well, there's no way the mammogram can prevent breast cancer. It just tells you if you've got it or not. So I, I decided I, I am an investigative reporter, you know, when push comes to shove. And I just said, I'm going to see if there are forgotten, ignored research studies out there that really tell us the truth, the truth about breast cancer, that really tell us why one woman develops the, the disease while another never will. And um, as luck would have it, I was in the right place at the right time with the right idea, and then I was able to garner up the right support to um, to answer those questions and to now produce this book that just was out on Amazon, um, just put out on Amazon in late January. It's just sort of getting going. Um, and so that, that's the origin of busting breast cancer. Well, you were heavily influenced by Dr. Silford. And tell me about how he influenced you and what his findings were. Sure. Dr. Thomas N. Seaford is a renowned geneticist slash biologist um, who has uh, taught both at Yale and at Boston College. And um, he, in 2012, was able, after about 10 years, uh, well, probably he would say 40 years of research, uh, to piece together what is now known worldwide as the metabolic theory of cancer. And he decided, after working with a lot of metastatic cancer models, mean, meaning he worked with a lot of mice who developed metastatic <laughs> cancer, um, he realized that, you know what, cancer is not a genetic disease. It does not start when one gene goes a little wacko, goes awire and starts to duplicate uncontrollably. In fact, and this he garnered from other, you know, earlier research studies that have been ignored um, and his own research, he realized that cancer begins in the mitochondria of a cell, which means the power batteries of a cell. And he also found research that showed that it's when those little power batteries suffocate that they, instead of dying, 
they start to do sometimes they will start to duplicate uncontrollably and kick off the genetic mutations that the whole cancer industry today is staring at and so i heard about his research in 2013 his book had been out for just about a year and uh bless him i contacted him i emailed him and i said you know i've been looking at a lot of statistical studies on breast cancer prevention and uh, no one understands why women are getting the disease, but they'll say, don't do this and do this and don't do this, but they don't know why. And I said, your theory, from what I understand of it, makes so much sense uh, connecting with these statistical studies. And I said, would you be willing to review my my work as I go along putting this book together. No, I said, would you like, would you let one of your research assistants review my work? I, I didn't want to think that he would have the time or interest to review my work directly. Well, he emailed me back saying, I think this is wonderful what you're doing and forget the research assistants, I will happily review your work. And so for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, he has just been a very, very uh, compassionate, understanding, thoughtful human being to me who is not a biologist, not a scientist in any way, shape or form. Um, and I have slowly learned enough about cell biology, thanks to him and his work, to, um, to be able to base my entire book on both his theory, the metabolic theory of cancer, combining it with decades of hundreds of statistical studies from around the world that have looked at and continue to look at the causes of breast cancer. So it's been a wonderful marriage. What is the metabolic theory of cancer? Well, that's that's a great question. And chapter one, and, and people must not get terrified about biological theories, because if I can understand this, let me tell you, anyone can understand this. I, I, I literally had my first and last biology course, uh, sophomore year of high school, and I think that was probably 1908, given my current age, you know, from what I can figure out. Um, and and I, as I say in the book, I vowed never to touch another dead frog again. Um, uh, but but um, Tom Seifert has really laid out this theory in a very easy to understand way. And here it is. Um, it, it basically means, as I've just said, that the, the, the first cancer cell starts when, in this case, let's talk about breast cancer. That's what I've studied. Um, breast cancer starts when a woman has had lifestyles, life habits, and life happenings that have come together and have been able to suffocate um, mitochondria or power batteries in her breast uh, duct cells or her breast lobe cells. Those are the two places where breast cancer happens uh, to develop in a woman's breast. And um, and one of the the reasons that uh, there's so much breast cancer in women compared to colon cancer, esophageal cancer, brain cancer, is that there's, I believe, so much estrogenic kinds of chemicals in the food we eat, in the air we breathe, in our personal care products, etc., that um, these are chemicals that, that think that they're the like an estrogen hormone. And, and our breast cells are... Um, 
our breast tissue are one of the uh, few organs in our bodies that, that allow these kind of estrogenic chemicals to come in. And so um, a lot of women find that they have many more estrogenic hormones in their body today than progesterone uh, hormones. And, you know, we, we need the estrogen and the progesterone. Uh, we need them balanced. And when they're balanced, they're incredibly helpful to us. That's what we thrive on. Uh, but when we have an imbalance, the overload, in this case of estrogen, becomes toxic and can suffocate those little power batteries in our mitochondria. Um, and so that is really... Um, uh, and so my book, The Five Simple Steps, and we can go through those, Susan, uh, talk about all the different ways that women are unfortunately able to suffocate the little power batteries in our breast duct cells and our breast lobe cells. Well, before we go there, I've got a couple more questions. First of all, I mean, many people, when they talk about metabolic approaches to cancer, they talk about the cells needing glucose and the ketogenic diet, which deprives the cancer cells of glucose, is one way to approach that. But as I understand, also cancer cells need glutamine, which mm-hmm. is a more tricky thing because glutamine is very prevalent throughout the body. And right. How does one stop the glutamine while not stopping its beneficial effects in other cells? So okay. that, to me, is an extension of what we've heard before about uh, cancer cells need glucose to keep functioning, so deprive them of glucose. Okay. But that's not the whole picture. Sure, sure. Well, in fact, I think Dr. Seifert is going to win the Nobel Prize. He certainly should win the Nobel Prize in physiology or medicine in in the next few years. Because what he has determined that I don't really think anyone had unequivocally determined before is the point about the glutamine, that that you're absolutely right, Susan, that there are only two fuels that keep a cancer cell alive. We're not talking breast cells, we're talking uh, breast cancer, we're talking all cancer, breast cancer, brain cancer, colon cancer. And those two fuels are glucose, as you've said, and the glutamine, as you've said. And glutamine, as you've also said, is one of the most prevalent and most important amino acids that we know how to make and that our, our healthy cells depend on to thrive. And so what Dr. Seifert is now doing is we understand that using a ketogenic diet, um, exogenous ketones, um, all ways of blocking glucose, but yet fueling the body in a very efficient and wonderful way using ketone bodies, not glucose, is certainly one way to help begin to starve cancer cells. But that second way is to figure out a way to block the glutamine, that amino acid, from also fueling the cancer cells, but not fueling our healthy cells. And so there are a few metabolic cancer clinics around the world, as well as a group called Care Oncology here in the United States, um, that are using um, a variety of repurposed drugs uh, to basically target, as they say, the, the glutamine, to stop the glutamine from feeding the cancer cells. But the only way it appears that uh, a cancer patient can effectively use this anti-glutamine, um, these anti-glutamine drugs, is if they are in deep ketosis, if they really um, have very little 
glucose happening in their body. So their cancer cells are just on the edge of death. And then by using a small amount of an anti-glutamine drug, or they call them glutamine antigens, um, and zapping uh, the person's body with a small amount of the anti-glutamine drug, then that can hit the weakest cells in the body, which at that point because of the glucose deprivation, are the cancer cells. And in fact, they're, they're able to do that. that. That's what they're doing um, around the globe right now. And there, and there are some, some young men with um, glioblastoma, and they have been dealing with their, these are very fast-growing brain tumors, a glioblastoma, for the last six or seven years using the ketogenic diet, and now they're using glutamine antigens as well. Uh, and they're living optimally healthy lives with very few, if any, um, uh, uh, issues, um, which is unheard of, unheard of. And and Dr. Seifert and, and his team is coming out with a, uh, a journal study very soon that will be using uh, a few of these um, um, case studies to illustrate that in fact it is totally possible to keep people alive and in optimal health even if they have had or still have uh, uh, glioblastomas, which is unheard of. Interruption, folks. I'm sorry for the snarky dog bites. But glioblastoma, I mean, that's what uh, Senator McCain had and Ted Kennedy and some friends of mine. Doesn't that usually have a prognosis of only 11 months? That's right. And what's interesting is we now know that it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much power you have. given your examples of Teddy Kennedy and Senator McCain, that if you get glioblastoma, say goodbye in 11 months. I believe that uh, Bo Biden also had that. Um, And so uh, the sad thing is that um, none of them were willing to reach beyond the Dana-Farbers and the Sloan Ketterings uh, to metabolic cancer oncologists and to use this uh, new uh, ability to, to, to block those cancer cells. They, they were unwilling to go outside of the cancer industry. And so this is what happens right now to people with glioblastoma. They can, you know, get their their things in order, as they say, and 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 their g- goodbye in 11 months, but not necessarily if they're willing to follow uh, metabolic therapies. I would like to make an uh, interjection here. Uh, people who worked with the Ted Kennedy's uh, uh, report that their family thought that the, his glioblastoma was caused by his cell phone use. He always had a cell phone in his ear. And I know other families that believe the same thing with their relatives that had glioblastomas. And actually, Hardell has done some research in Sweden showing a strong connection, if not causation, between use of a cell phone, or it can be a cordless phone, and acoustic neuromas and glioblastomas. Also, the American Toxicology Study, funded by you know the FDA in a 20-year study, shows that uh, cell phones could directly lead to glioblastomas and heart swanomas. So, and, and working toward our optimal health, we need to be aware of these various risks. I, I just couldn't resist putting that in. Yeah, no, and in fact, let me add to that sidebar of yours, Susan. I just read uh, research a couple of days ago 
that's showing that women who had been pregnant women exposed to certain chemicals, I'm not sure if they were pesticides, atrazine, that kind of thing, um, uh, have a preponderance of, you know, can end up with children who develop brain tumors within their first few years of life. Well, now you're getting me on a roll because uh, it was a Hugh Taylor at Yale and a guy named Suleiman in Turkey did studies that if you put a cell phone on a pregnant abdomen, the offspring end up with brain damage, especially the hippocampus. And also various toxins are directly related to HDHD, etc. Well, stay tuned for my upcoming movie, uh, <laughs> Toxify, which will go into this deeper. Wonderful. Wonderful. So anyway, so anyway, one of your points was it's not only breast cancer. When these mitochondria are su- suffocated in any part of the body, any kind of cancer can start. So this isn't limited to just breast cancer. That's right. That's right. And one of the things that Dr. Seifried uh, very kindly says in the forward to my book is Susan's book is not just about breast cancer. In fact, the vast majority of what she's talking about here is about all cancers. So you're absolutely right. Well, let's get into your steps. You've got five steps. Let's hear them. Oh, right. Okay. So let me quickly go through the five steps and then we can backtrack and and talk more about each of them. But the first is to lose all of our excess body fat. Um, Body fat um, uh, uh, becomes an endocrine organ and it can pump out toxic estrogens that we talked about can help suffocate those breast um, mitochondria. Uh, The second step is no progestin drugs. Um, Progesterone is a good natural hormone. Progestin is a chemical that they've flipped into all birth control drugs and into 90% of all IUDs today that are on the U.S. market. Um, They also have flipped progestin into what they call the combo metapausal relief drug, PremPro, and there are a number of other names for these estrogen plus progestin uh, drugs for menopausal relief. And we now understand the biology behind how the progestin actually not only creates, but also can accelerate any, it creates breast uh, cells, cancer cells, but also can accelerate the duplication of any breast cancer cells that are existing. The third uh, simple step is to use thermography every year for a woman to have an annual thermogram that's not going to be looking for do you have breast cancer yet. We're looking to prevent this disease. Thermography looks at, do you have inflamed breast tissue? Because if you have inflamed breast tissue, that is the first step to toward the suffocation of those poor little mitochondria in your breast cells. So this is a very big warning sign to women. If your thermogram shows inflammation, you can start working fast to implement all the other steps, the other four steps in my book to basically keep breast cancer out of your body. Um, and the, th- the fourth 
um, detox is uh, um, or the fourth uh, step is to keep your body detoxed on a regular daily basis. And I think the most important way to detox your body is to remember that your brain is probably the most important part of your body. You know, with breast cancer, if you get breast cancer, the surgeons say, oh, we'll lop off your breast, Matilda. If you get brain cancer, they don't say, oh, we're going to lop off your brain, Matilda. You know, um, they look for other ways to, <laughs> to help you get better. Um, I don't believe in both either of these, but, but I just think it's really important to realize that our brains are the most important organ in our body, and we ought to start detoxing them, number one. And that means daily meditation. I don't mean, you know, go to a retreat every three months. I mean daily meditation. I mean like an hour of meditation every day, maybe even a half hour in the morning, a half hour in the evening, but some type of meditation that really can clear your mind and cleanse it of all of its angst for that period of time because having so much angst going on in you, be it about your health, your family, your money, or lack thereof, or too much of, or your relationships, whatever it is, um, is a way to keep your cortisol hormone levels really high. And that really is acidic to those poor little power batteries in your breast cells. And this more than anything else, women really understand when you talk about causes of breast cancer, those who have dealt with breast cancer will quickly raise their hand and say, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's why I know I got breast cancer. And they start telling their horrific stories of the moment in their life that was things that were happening and then how they got breast cancer. So the detoxification and then, of course, we know so much about detoxing our body. I mean, there are cleanses out there. There are fasting ways you can do it. Um, gentle exercise. You don't need to be a marathon runner. You don't even have to be a five-mile runner. You know, if you can just be walking for an hour a day, you need and, – and really what the exercise is doing – is it's moving your lymph system and your lymph system, especially with women who have large breasts and women who never touch their breasts or have their breasts touched. Those are the women that need to change their ways immediately. Breast massage is important, dry skin brushing, not the nipples, but including the whole body and the breasts because you want the only way your lymph system that goes right through your breast that pulls out the toxins and, and allows um, anti-inflammatory uh, uh, cells to come in, healing, uh, you know, uh, immune cells to come in, etc. So your 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 blood and your lymph, and and your lymph can only move if you move. It's not like your heart is pumping your lymph. No, your heart is pumping your blood. Nothing is pumping your lymph system but you and your movement. So that's really really important, as well as cleaning your foods and stuff. And then the fifth. Um, the fifth simple way to keep breast cancer out of your body it does not is not suffocation uh, something that suffocates the mitochondria but it is a way to keep your immune system your internal wi-fi system really powered up and that's called keeping the blood levels the vitamin d3 blood levels throughout your body really high um, and we can talk more in detail about that 
but uh, those are those are the five to lose the excess body fat to stop any kind of progestin drugs birth control or menopausal to use thermography annually to monitor your inflammation in your breast to detox your mind and the rest of your body on a daily basis and to keep your vitamin d3 levels really high using both indoor and outdoor tanning and using high amounts of d3 supplements with i guess calcium and k2 are the other two that really help improve the effectiveness of whatever d3 supplements you're taking but to to have your blood tested twice a year, summer and winter, to know your number. It's not enough to say, oh, I take vitamin D3 supplements every day. Uh, that's irrelevant. If, if your number is really low and you're taking 1,000 IUs of D3 a day, your vitamin D3 level is probably going to stay very low. So that, that doesn't help you. Um, anyway, those are the five. Well, let's go back and uh, look at these more closely. For example, obesity. We're fat in this country. We're really fat. And and fat is where all the toxins are stored. So tell us how fat contributes to breast cancer. Sure. Fat also is where a lot of your D3 is stored. So for a woman who's 20, 30, 120, 130 pounds overweight, a lot of the time that she's out in the sun or without uh, sunscreen hopefully and um, a lot of the D3 supplements she's taking are going right into her fat cells and they're sitting there doing very little Um, so uh, lots of reasons why excess body fat is bad again it it is pumping out probably a major reason it's bad is it's pumping out an unnecessary therefore toxic form of estrogen 24-7 and and we know that estrogen can go into your breast cells this is why you know it's really scary if you look at a group of breast cancer quote survivors or especially women with metastatic breast cancer um, they now have metastatic breast cancer conferences and they when they take pictures of the attendees I feel like 85% of the women are not just overweight they are obese and everyone's smiling and together and happy and no one is telling them that they are feeding any existing cancer cells because they all have them if they have metastatic breast cancer that their excess fat is their worst enemy right now um no one is telling them that um so that's that is a major reason why losing your excess body fat is so critically important and all statistical studies will tell us is 30 percent if you you are overweight i'm talking 25 30 pounds i'm not talking huge amounts of overweight but 25 30 pounds even that raises your risk especially if you're postmenopausal, of developing uh, like it's a 30% increase automatically in terms of developing breast cancer. For women who are premenopausal, there are a number of studies that say, oh, wait, in fact, maybe it can protect you from developing breast cancer because of X, Y, and Z. But other studies will say, but if you develop breast cancer and you are premenopausal and obese, good luck. It means that your cancer cells are going to grow faster. It means that the um, treatment is not going to be as effective. It means that you are incredibly vulnerable. So for lots of reasons, 
women who are premenopausal and those of us who are postmenopausal need to find ways to keep off the excess body fat. And of course, I talk a lot in the, not a lot, but in chapter two in the book about the importance of uh, following a ketogenic diet, because not only does that help you uh, burn off your excess body fat, and, and I find burn it off very happily, easily, because the food you eat on a ketogenic diet is very appealing, um, that it, not only does it, it do that, but, but if you can, once you've um, lost your weight, stay uh, on a, in a ketogenic lifestyle, it is a clean fuel. It doesn't clog up the mitochondria. Glucose, as I said, is like a diesel dirty fuel, and it will create a lot more of um, cellular debris, let's say, um, that can help suffocate the mitochondria, whereas when you're on a ketogenic lifestyle, to lose weight or to maintain optimal health, you are flying high on very, very clean, efficient fuel. Uh, so many reasons to use that ketogenic lifestyle to lo- and to lose your excess body fat all in one. Um, so I hope that answers your question about the, the excess body fat. Well, it sounds like excess estrogen suffocates the mitochondria. And I'd also like to point out that uh, men or people who take testosterone, that can convert through the esterase pathway to excess estrogens. So a lot of times if men are taking testosterone, it might convert to estrogens or women as well, and you have excess estrogens. So estrogens are pretty important. Also, I heard something in there that if you're obese, it could, you know, since vitamin D is a fat-soluble, whatever is pro-hormone, or some people call it a vitamin, it stores in the fat. So would that mean obese people need to take more vitamin D to achieve decent levels? Absolutely. Well, again, it's very individualized. Everybody, because of their age, because of their metabolism, uh, because of where they live in terms of how much sun they get uh, just automatically, um, metabolize D3 differently. And this is why um, it's so critical for everybody to have, it's called 25-hydroxy is the name of the D3 test. 25-hydroxy, people should write that down. And look at your last blood panel and see what your 25-hydroxy number was. I I can't stress this enough. It's so critical for you, not just your doctor, but for you to know the number of your last 25-hydroxy test. Is it 43? Is it 9? Is it 67? You need to know that. If you follow your blood pressure, follow your vitamin D3 blood level as well. Don't let anyone tell you, oh, Matilda, you're fine, because you don't know what their definition of fine is. And um, there are a number of studies out now, I think I cite at least one in my book, that talks about they've never found a woman diagnosed with breast cancer who has a vitamin D3 blood level over 60. So that means if you can keep your vitamin D3 blood level over 60, and we're talking 60 nanograms per milliliter, apparently it's a very, very tiny amount of D3 nanograms, think about it, 60 nanograms per milliliter, 
there has you will make history if you somehow develop breast cancer because apparently that means the your internal Wi-Fi system, which is what your D3 system, your D3 does, it activates it, is so powerful that whenever you start to have a suffocating breast cancer cell, your D3 Wi-Fi system is able to quickly call in your immune system cells to come in and help wipe help that cell wipe itself out because that's what happens to most cells you know when when cells start to suffocate often they'll just annihilate themselves they call that apoptosis i call it pop goes the weasel but <laughs> every 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 basic biology course apparently teaches this nowadays that that that's how you know, we're, we're making nasty cells, or we're creating nasty cells in our bodies all the time, but if our body is healthy and, and doing well and we have some decent D3 going, we, we can self-regulate. We can kill those cells all on our own. It's when our D3 levels are below 60, there we go, for breast cancer, um, and we start to suffocate those little power batteries in our breast cells and our D3 system is kind of weak, when those things start to suffocate and they don't self-destruct and we aren't able to call in our immune system to help them to self-destruct, then they become cancer cells. They start to duplicate mindlessly. They connect with their nucleus and they go into all those genetic mutations, millions of them that the cancer industry love to talk about and love to tell us they have a new chemotherapy and an immunotherapy to zap them here and there and, and zap your healthy cells at the same time, by the way. Um, so D3 is the easiest, cheapest, simplest way to stop breast cancer from developing in your body, but it's got to be above 60 I would like to chime in on this because vitamin D3, it's important just about every pathway in the body. It helps with inflammation, oxidative stress, helps build the immunity. And also, I believe uh, that Susan had said that it protects against uh, COVID just as well as it protects against breast cancer. Yeah, it's amazing. It's well, not amazing, but that's what the immune system does. It It's there to take out the the bad guys and um, certainly getting a virus like COVID is a bad guy. So people with high D3 levels find, you know, the studies are showing us that they either stay asymptomatic, they don't get it, you know, they don't, they never test positive or they stay asymptomatic or if they do develop symptoms, they're not very bad. Um, and again, a lot of people who are getting really hit hard by COVID have, um, are obese. And of course, that's the majority Unfortunately, it's literally the majority of women in the United States. We're not talking overweight. We're talking obese. Um, That that number keeps climbing. Um, And so, of course, we're going to have more COVID deaths among the obese and more breast cancer among the obese. Why are we so fat? Ah, um, chapter two in my book looks at uh, one of the things it looks at is is that question, and I, I couldn't believe it when I did my research um, because it turns out that there is a group called the National Academy of used to be called the National 
No, the National Institute of, it used to be called the Institute of Medicine. They recently changed the name. They upgraded the name, unfortunately. Now it's called the National Academy of Medicine. And this is the best funded um, lobby group in Washington for the processed food industry, the chemical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industry. And these, this, um, in, this National Academy of Medicine, it, oh, it's headed up by a man who used to be on the board for years of PepsiCo, of Cheetos and Fritos and PepsiCo. And he, I, you know, reports say he, he's, you know, developed his stock options have given him, I don't know, 13, 15, 16 million bucks from his work on the board of PepsiCo. Well, he quickly resigned that when they appointed him as the president of the uh, National Academy of Medicine. And Congress, um, for the last 20 years, it would appear, has, has turned over the oversight ability of our U.S. food pyramid, that lovely pyramid that all the doctor's offices are handing out and that school children are taught and that nutritionists will have hanging in their offices. This is the U.S. FDA's food pyramid and this is what it means to eat healthy. And that food pyramid has Fritos and Cheetos at the bottom of the pyramid have seven servings of bread and rice and um, other whole grains every day. Well, that's glucose. That's glucose. And then they have an eat uh, fat, natural and processed fat sparingly. Um, and and so the question is, why do we have an upside down U.S. food pyramid? And why can't well-intentioned groups, and there are a number of them now out there trying to influence Congress to change the food pyramid and get rid of all of the glucose as a way of getting rid of our national obesity epidemic. And they try very hard, and then every five years when that good old food pyramid is reissued, it looks the same as it did five years earlier, and no one can figure out why. And now I think I figured it out. It is the fact that the oversight continues to be given to by Congress. They, they're abdicating their responsibility and turning over the oversight literally to the processed food and pharmaceutical and medical industries, which are making a bundle off of all of the obesity issues with type 2 diabetes coming from it, and all of the cancer issues, and now the COVID issues. It's a nasty story, Susan. Yeah, that it is. But it sounds like the way to lose weight would be minimize sugar, go toward paleo or keto. Intermittent fasting also helps. And healthy fats. I mean, the unhealthy fats are the processed fats, the corn oil, the vegetable oils, the canola oil, which is highly processed. So going toward healthy fats, which could be coconut oil, olive oil. Some people use MCT. Some people use avocado oils. Uh you know, healthy butter, meaning uh, grass-fed. So healthy fats as opposed to the processed fats, because the processed fats will stiffen your cell wall. And if your cell wall is stiff, things don't go in and out, and they don't communicate as well. So uh, we need to focus on how to eat well. So anyway, 
Um, a couple of points that were interesting. Uh, when you were discussing vitamin D previously in another forum, I think Bill Grant was talking about the benefits of sunshine, that it really helps with vitamin D. But he also commented that if you're above the 35th parallel, which is about the level of Boston, that for half the year you could be out in the sun and you won't be really making any vitamin D because it's too far north. So um, sun is an important role as well. Right, but I, I love indoor tanning. You know, it has gotten such a bad rap, and it's unfair um, because it would appear the dermatology industry wants you to come see the dermatologist um, and uh, 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 instead of uh, and, and have uh, they, they call them um, phototherapy uh, versus going to a, uh, a tanning salon and, and increasing your D3. I mean, it's really a very strange situation. Um, but uh, since I live in Boston, uh, um, in the winter, I tan twice to three times a week. I do a, a, a stand-up stall, like a shower stall. And I'm up to the max of seven minutes. Um, so it's very easy to do. You feel great. Um, and it enables me at my advanced age, you know, over 60 as it were, to keep my D3 as close to 60 as I possibly can. I think the last time it was 59. I'd love it to be 70. But I, it's in the winter, it's really hard for me to do that. And then on days that I don't do indoor tanning, I take five to 10,000 IUs of vitamin D3 along with calcium and K2. Um, and, uh, and then in the summer, I try and get out in the sun between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m., which is when it's the brightest, um, in order to get that D3 instead of indoor tanning. Well, Bill Grant is a great fan of indoor tanning as well. Another point that you had made in the past that I find interesting is progestin is an artificial chemical, and uh, in the past you mentioned that it initiates or accelerates the development of any breast cancer. But you also mentioned something very interesting. Some IUDs uh, have progestin in it, and there's only one that doesn't, and that one, there's a monopoly, so that this simple 50-cent device costs $900 instead. So tell us about that. Well, yeah. I mean, in, in Chapter 10 in my book, I, I list seven political action steps that individuals and, and women's groups and health groups uh, can help, uh, you know, take uh, for political change, you know, steps, things we can write to our Congress people about, uh, things that we can lobby about, etc. And, um, and, and one of them is the... Is it the ludicrousness of the fact? Um, it's very sad, in fact, that that um, and and I outlined it in an ebook I wrote in 2012, and then I've condensed it into a chapter in in busting breast cancer uh, in chapter four. Um, but but right now the FDA, as of 1999, they reclassified the very simple copper coil IUD that many of us who are, you know, now at retirement age uh, used. I had mine for 10 years, I think in the 70s. It was wonderful. I think it cost 30 bucks to, in, it was covered by insurance, 30 bucks to ins, insert. And I think the price of it was less than that or something. Um, and, and it lasted for 10 years. And, but it, and the, the little amount of co uh, copper in that uh, copper coil basically 
is enough to irritate any sperm so that nothing can be fertilized. And that's how it works. Well, it was always a medical device. It's still a medical device. But um, the FDA in 1999, for some unexplained reason, uh, declared that IUD to be a pharmaceutical drug. And at the moment they declared it that, there was only one I, on one hormone-free, one copper coil model and make on the U.S. market. That's what's known as the Paragard today. And so they have been able, if a woman wants a hormone-free IUD, the only option, and oh, the reason I should say that what happens when you make something a pharmaceutical drug is if you want to introduce another competitive, quote, pharmaceutical drug, in this case, hormone-free IUD on the market, you have to do a double-blind placebo-controlled study. And since the IUDs we're talking about last 10 years, that's a 10-year double-blind placebo-controlled study. That is millions, hundreds, millions of dollars to do that study. And so there's been no profit incentive for companies in Europe who are making many, many brands, many models, many sizes. I mean, a woman's uterus, they're all different sizes and shapes, and we need different sizes and shapes IUDs. And uh, and so, but now in the U.S., we, we still only have this one Paragard because no one can afford to put another one on the U.S. market. Uh, so what I say in my book is if women want to have a really good fitting IUD inserted in them and avoid birth control drugs, they ought or, or any other type of um, progestin-based IUD, they need to go to another country um, and have that not only not only purchase it, but also have it inserted because in the U.S. where it's illegal to to have Planned Parenthood, let's say, distribute a foreign-made drug. So even if you brought back your $10 copper coil from that fits you from Mexico or from Britain and asked your Planned Parenthood clinic to insert it, they would not be legally allowed to insert it in you. You have to have it inserted overseas. I mean, this whole situation is incredibly ludicrous, but the sad part is this situation has caused so many American women, especially teenagers, to go on the pill because they don't have a choice of having a hormone-free IUD inserted. And so one of the reasons, unfortunately, we have so many premenopausal women developing breast cancer today is so many of these women have been forced to start ingesting this progestin chemical every day. Wow. Another point you made that was very interesting to me, that Susan Corman foundation doesn't want breast exams done and that's almost to the point of being illegal well i don't know about illegality They, they can do whatever they want they're a private organization but they say and they have said now for at least 10 years if you, community clinic, want to get 10000 from us this year or 100000 from us this year to run your clinic, you know, um, you cannot do a few things. The two, thing, two things you cannot do is you cannot have anything in any of your literature, let alone have your practitioners practice it, that have to do with breast self-exams or thermography. 
um, they, I mean, it's unbelievable. And if you do, if you, if you have a shower card that shows a woman how to do a breast exam in your waiting room, and they find that out, they will rip your the money away from you. You will lose your $10,000 or your $100,000 grant from Susan G. Komen. And the same with thermography. If any of your practitioners tell your patients about the importance of having an annual thermogram or if any of your brochures talk about the importance of a thermography, you will lose your 10000 or your 100000 grant from Susan G. Komen. They have been founded and they are supported like crazy by the pharmaceutical and mammography industry. And apparently that is one of the stipulations, I'm assuming, that has been made between the two organizations. If you want to continue to get our money, Susan G. Komen, you have to make sure that your grant receivers do not allow thermography or self-exams because maybe then they won't start getting their mammograms like we want them to. Another point you made that was interesting, that uh, there was some suspicion that people with metastatic cancer who have poor insurance or no insurance actually might do better than those who have good insurance? Well, this is what Dr. Seifert sometimes likes to say about all people with um, advanced cancers. Because um, right today, apparently, and I need to do some more research into this, even if you have Medicare or some good private insurance and you are facing metastatic breast cancer, the costs that you end up having to pay are enormous or can be enormous for immunotherapies and all of these fancy new chemotherapy drugs. Um, but that's where they're making most of their money. The breast cancer industry is making most of their money on metastatic breast cancer drugs. Um, and, and so um, if you don't have that kind of money, you're looking for alternative ways to stay alive and stay healthy. So that's when you end up finding out about care oncology and about the whole other slew of metabolic uh, cancer treatments. And that's when you say, well, I think I'll, I'll look into this and I'll start to follow it because it's pretty inexpensive to start doing three-day water-only fasts. And it's pretty inexpensive to go buy a keto mojo for 60 bucks and be able to measure my ketone levels and my glucose levels every day. And lo and behold, these are the people, and, and care oncology, which we can also talk about if we have any time here, um, is, is fairly inexpensive, and they will give you ways to lower your glucose and ways to zap out your glutamine uh, from your cancer cells. So those are the people that we find are living much longer and much happier um, uh, with a metastatic cancer diagnosis. We have like only a minute or so left, so let them know where to find your book and okay. uh, how to get in touch with you and any parting words. Sure, sure. Thanks. I, I appreciate being able to, to talk with your um, le your followings uh, today here. Um, the name of the book is Busting Breast Cancer, Five Simple Steps to Keep Breast Cancer Out of Your Body. Um, you can get a nice copy of the launch edition. I signed them and there it's full color um, by going to bustingbreastcancer.com, my website. That's B-U-S-T-I-N-G, busting breastcancer.com. Um, you can also buy the book, the paperback book at discount if you're buying seven or more for your book group or your, your 
uh, college or high school class uh, or for your group of friends. Um, you can also get the book now on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble um, uh, and all other bookstores. Bookshop um, is selling it. They're all selling it. The audio book well, will be out in May. Well, we have to come to a close, so I want to thank you because it's very important to take proactive steps in maintaining our path toward optimal health. And this applies to men and women because the mechanism between prostate cancer and breast cancer might not differ that much. So go do your research, get her book, uh, do your research, share it with others, share it with your physician, and above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.